0: Now, I'll invite you again to return uh, in God's Word and turn there to Psalm 104. Psalm 104. Over these next couple of weeks, coming back from sabbatical, um, thinking about what the Lord had done in me and, and worked in me and how to share that with you and, and so forth, um, I decided to, to look at several Psalms over these next uh, five weeks before we start into a, uh, a series of messages in 1 Corinthians. Uh, psalms that I'm calling sabbatical psalms because God used them uh, in my own life uh, as well, I think, as he uses them in our lives as God's people uh, to point to our, our need for and his provision of rest in himself. And so we're going to be looking at a number of different psalms over the next uh, couple of weeks and uh, invite you to enter into that and hopefully it will be um, the Lord will use them to encourage and challenge and strengthen you in much the same way he, he did for me over these last uh, several months and the first one we're gonna look at is Psalm 104 and so I'm gonna read the whole psalm it's a long psalm and uh, encourage you to um, just give ear to God's Word The Psalms, as we know, are are, um, kind of the prayer book, the song book, the worship book that God has given to his people, and they are not only God's inspired words uh, to teach us about him, but they are also the words he gives us uh, to pray back and to worship him, and so there's a unique character to them as well. And so let's give our ear to God's word uh, as it's recorded for us in Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, and at your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose, and the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. And the earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock. And plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork has her home in the fir trees, the high mountains are for the wild goats, the rocks are the refuge for rock badgers." He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, what great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. And when you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to Him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. This is God's word given to us in love. Amen. Father, would you open our eyes to see your beauty. Give us eyes of faith that we might see your glory reflected in the world around us in all that you have made, and that our hearts would be moved to rejoice in you and you alone. We ask this In Christ's name, amen. I was sitting on our screened-in porch one day last week, having been thinking about and preparing to preach this psalm, and and it was just a perfect setting, the cool breeze was blowing, the we, the trees out back in the woods behind us were kind of swaying back and forth, the afternoon rays of the sun were were kind of beaming through the various openings in the leaves, kind of like a laser show that was going on out back. Uh, there was a group of of cardinals and wrens that were raising a a, a raucous out there because of a hawk had put, positioned himself right on a pole in our backyard, and uh, and, and everything just seemed kind of restful and peaceful and in the distance you could hear this low rumble going on and and slowly the sunbeams began to fade away and and all of a sudden the birds disappeared up into the branches and the wind began to increase such that the trees started started moving about like a, a people on a dance floor when the music picks up tempo and pick up tempo it was all of a sudden the winds rose to this, this gale-like force and thick clouds began to roll in and the, and the rain started to, to come down over the landscape. Bright flashes of lightning and, and, and ever louder peals of thunder began to permeate the sky. And suddenly I'm sitting out there and I look up and there are these 90-foot these trees that are 8 feet in diameter that are now swaying. Like like stalks in a in a wheat field, and their their tops are just thrashing around like a rag doll, and dead, shedding their dead branches everywhere. And the the sky began to have this uh, this sense of just opening up, and literally the the deluge came. And I watched as streams were starting to run across the back of my uh, yard. And suddenly, a blinding flash and deafening boom at the same time, right over my next door neighbor's house. Sent me running into the kitchen, (laughs) where I watched the rest of the show from inside. And then as quick as the tempest arose, it was gone. The sunbeams peeked back through, the birds began to sing, the breeze settled in to cool the, the hot, steamy air. Sounds like a typical afternoon, summer afternoon in the South, doesn't it? Nothing particularly extraordinary. Unless you stop to watch, and to look, and think, and to contemplate not only what is happening, but to consider the who behind the what that is happening. And if you're willing to do that, then suddenly the ordinary afternoon thunderstorm that we just kind of take for granted every day in July and August takes on an extraordinary divine effect. The seemingly natural occurrence becomes a, a supernatural encounter intended to stir our souls and our hearts to wonder and awe, to cause our our lips to proclaim, oh God, you are great, very great. To be awed and wonder at the marvel of this natural world is nothing unusual. The question is, Where does that awe and that wonder actually lead? Where does it take us? It is meant to lead you and me to to rest and to rejoice in the creator of all that we see. God's word tells us that all of creation serves as a universal witness to the, to the character and to the nature of God, the creator. The heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19 says. The skies proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. The natural world around us that we see every day in all its its grandeur, its beauty, its power, its wonder, even in its simplicity and familiarity, is constantly speaking to us. It's constantly testifying to one thing, and that's the supernatural grandeur and glory of God who made all things. We are surrounded, literally surrounded, 24-7, 365, by by a, a living screen of sorts that's always broadcasting the same theme. And the reception is very clear, and the language is understandable to every single human being, as Paul reminds us in Romans. For what can be known about God is plain to them, to all men he's speaking of all humanity, because God has shown it to them. How? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he has made. Creation clearly reveals the creator. And that's why it's the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. And yet, many do just that. Many do just that. They see and hear the clear testimony of the natural world around them, and they, they try to change the station. They try to, uh, to, to suppress the message. But even for those of us who know and who, who worship and who understand God's revelation of himself in c- creation, and we worship God, the creator, the message can still get easily lost. It can get overlooked, it can be misunderstood, or like most of us, it probably becomes so familiar that it just fades into the background and becomes more like white noise or the screensaver that comes up every now and then. One of the main purposes in prayers for, for my sabbatical, going on sabbatical, was that, that the Lord really would renew my soul's wonder and worship of Him. I had, I had kind of fallen into that place where things had just become so familiar, so ordinary, and I felt like I needed to, to have God revive that and draw me to rest and rejoice in His grace and goodness in Christ. And while, and while God speaks primarily through His Word and through His Son, Jesus, one of the ways that He brought rest and rejoicing back to my soul, was by a renewed sense of his glory and goodness as it's revealed in the everyday things around us, in the world that he has made. It brought to my mind the words of Jonathan Edwards, which I had to go search out this week, describing his own deepening experience with God, not only through the the revelation of the scriptures, but also through the general revelation of nature. Edwards wrote this, he said, The appearance of everything... After his conversion was altered, there seemed to be, as it were, a calm, sweet cast or appearance of divine glory in almost everything. God's excellency, his wisdom, his purity and love seemed to appear in everything <laughs> in the sun, in the moon, and the stars, in the clouds, in the blue sky, in the grass, in the flowers, the trees, in water, in all of nature. Sounds like he had been reading Psalm 104. (laughs) Because that's the message of the psalmist. Meditating upon God's creation. Indeed, the the flow of the psalm follows to some degree the the six days that are recorded in in Genesis 1 of God's creating the earth. And, And the psalmist is meditating upon that and observing the world all around him. And he's led to worship. And in worship, he's led to rest. In the one he worships. He begins and ends with this self-ascribed call to worship. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then in between the, the layers, or in between those two, two proclamations, he layers reason upon reason for doing this. And I want to look at those reasons under kind of three headings as we work through the psalm. The greatness of God and his command over creation... The goodness of God and his provision for his creation and the gladness of God in light in his creation. So if you'd like to take notes and follow an outline, that's a good, a good way to go. The goodness of God, the greatness of God, and the gladness of God in his creation. First, let's look at the greatness of God and his command over creation. We had the, the blessing of traveling to a number of different places over our time of sabbatical and, and spent a lot of time outdoors. In fact, I was trying to figure out how much time I actually spent outdoors, probably 80% of the time, including eating and reading and everything. We just, we just stayed outside a lot, and it was a great blessing. I realized how much that's a blessing to me. But one of the things I took along on most of the places we went, and what I was incredibly grateful for, because I always forget them when I'm here and doing stuff, was a pair of binoculars. I just took a pair of binoculars with me because I figured we might be some places where it'd be good to look and see things you know, in a different light. And binoculars are similar to a, a telescope. They serve to, to take something that may seem really small, may seem somewhat insignificant, and to magnify it in a way that you actually get the right proportion and see things in proper perspective and see them more clearly. And so, for instance, when we were in California, we came across a, a group of sea otters in the, in the water. I'd never seen sea otters except on TV or anything. And, and we came across, and we could see them, but they didn't really look like sea otters. They just looked like little black specks out in the kelp out there. And so we were able to get somewhat close to them, but I pulled out the binoculars, and I looked over there, and suddenly they were sea otters. And suddenly I realized what they look like, their faces. There, We could see their whiskers. We could see them rolling around and playing. And we could actually see those things are pretty big, (laughs) bigger than I thought they were. And we drove up the Pacific Coast Highway, and we'd come across these magnificent vistas with huge mountains dropping down to the sea. And you kind of look at that, and it was just hard to get a proportion. But you pick up the binoculars, and you look down, and you recognize on this cliff over here, there's a giant sequoia tree, you know, that looks like something out of a, a little, uh, uh, something out of a dollhouse or something. And you realize the, the, the massiveness of the, the mountains and the coastline and how big it really is. And the psalmist here describing God in relation to his creation, he uses language that kind of serves like a, a pair of binoculars or maybe a, a better, a, a massive telescope. To describe and put into perspective just how great and how majestic God truly is. He claims it right at the beginning. Oh, Lord, my God, you are very great. How great? Well, the light by which we see everything and upon which all things depend is like God's robe that he's wrapping around his shoulders and clothing himself with. The very first thing God does in creation is he takes the chaos and confusion of darkness and he says, let there be light and there is light. And so we can see and we are warmed and we uh, have, have things as they really are and, and light is a quality of God's nature such that it's like, it's like his jacket he puts on. <laughs> It both conceals the the true uh, splendor of His glory, but it also reveals to us something of what He is like, like. Describing the formation of heavens and earth, the psalmist speaks of God stretching them out like He's setting up a pup tent at His campsite. The more we discover of our universe, the more massive we realize it is. Has anybody seen any of the recent pictures that came from the new James Webb telescope? They've just sent back some of the first pictures from out in space. And I, I'm just, it never ceases to just amaze me when I think of just how we even get things like that. But if you've seen those recent pictures, there are some of these images of these nebula and galaxies, some that are millions of light years away. They look like they're in our next room from these pictures, and that stretch thousands of light years from end to end. And just, just for a little perspective, it takes light about eight minutes to travel from the sun to the earth. A light year is how long it takes light to travel in one full year. One light year is about 5.9 trillion miles. I mean, we, I, we can't even think in numbers like that. And we're taking pictures of things that are out there millions of light years away that are thousands of light years in, in size. And that's just one of them. Who knows how many are out there? And God, who created all of that, is there, and he's just stretching it out like a tent. Laying the beams of his chambers, his abode, on the on the waters above. Creating all of this universe as a, as a place where his glory will be reflected. The winds and the clouds which course throughout the globe are his chariot. Not only is he so massive and immense, but he's also right here. <laughs> present in his creation, working through various things. He tells the wind where to go and what to do and they listen. Listen. When a cool breeze blows through your backyard or a massive storm rolls through, when lightning and thunder strikes, those aren't just natural phenomena, although there are, are natural physical processes behind them. It's not something that just happens at random. The Lord is at work. He's revealing His power, He's saying something to you about His majesty and His splendor. In that afternoon thunderstorm that rolled through, God was sending a message. I am very great. He set the earth on its foundation so that it could never be moved. Well, you might say, well, actually the earth is moving. Did you know that? You and I are moving right now about a thousand miles an hour through space. Think about that. Doesn't feel like it, does it? Because he set it on its foundation. There's security and their stability, even in this large planet spinning through space at thousands of miles an hour. The Lord set the orbit of Earth perfectly as a stable and secure habitation for his creatures. And he caused the sea to recede, the land to rise up. He tells and determines how far the waves can come. Think about that next time you go to the beach. We spent some time on the coast of South Carolina and we were at a beach where they were doing a beach renourishment project and I was fascinated. I, you know, I like to do things when I'm at the beach and one of the things I did was go down and watch what was happening down there because they were pumping sand from a mile offshore on this barge and it was just flowing up through these giant pipes out onto the beach and there were these five bulldozers that were just moving mud basically and I was like, you know, a 5-year-old kid at the playground But I'm sitting there watching and they're putting, I talked to the guy, they're putting down, you know, probably 100 or 150 yards of beach a day through this renourishment project and and fascinating technology. And I'm thinking, one winter storm. (laughs) We can decide where we want the beach to lie and the oceans to stop. But the Lord is the one who ultimately determines that. How great is our God? The one who wraps himself in light, who lays out the galaxies and planets and stars like they are a a tent for his abode. Who establishes where the wind will blow and the seas will rise. Our God is very great. But we not only see the greatness of God in his command and his, his, uh, his sovereignty over creation. The psalmist reminds us also of the goodness of God and his provision for his creation. Verse 10 through 30 describe in detail God's, God's providence, his, his governing, his, his providing in all things for his creation. And he provides not only necessities like food and water and shelter, but he does so in a manner that displays, continues to display his, his greatness, his creativity, his ingenuity, his wisdom. I mean, just think about the waterworks of nature that God has set up to provide drink for his Creatures. Have you ever just thought about the phenomenon of rain? That cloud that comes over your house and, and uh and dumps gallons and gallons of water, probably millions of gallons of water on the earth around it. Where did that come from? It's evaporated up somewhere, probably over the Pacific Ocean or the Gulf Coast. It's evaporated up into the sky, into little tiny particles that you cannot see. It travels thousands of miles where at some point God gathers it all back up in a, a large cloud. That, I mean, think about how much billions of gallons of water weighs. How heavy a cloud must be. Why did not it just come, boom, crashing down on us? And if it did, think of what it would do. It would crush everything underneath it. But no, God brings it to the place he wants. He opens it up. And then it comes down in little particles of water that drop down and sail through the air for miles and spread themselves out. Sometimes pretty hard. But they don't crush everything that's underneath them. Rather, as the psalmist tells it, he restores and refreshes the earth and gives drink to all his creatures. From the small blades of grass that may soak up just a drop or two to the giant cedars of Lebanon that probably drink gallons a day, the Lord gives exactly enough for each to grow and live. And the Lord has created and provides for each living creature according to its particular needs, each one perfectly suited to its environment, whether desert or ocean or mountain or jungle or Arctic. God has designed every creature for the environment and provides for them in that environment. I mean, you don't have to travel now to these places to see this. Just watch Planet Earth or one of these great you know, nature shows that unfortunately look at that and say, oh, isn't nature great? We go the next step and say, isn't the God who created nature great? And not only does God meet every necessity, but he also in his goodness provides various luxuries to us, good things. Again, we drove through some of the large food-producing areas of our country and we would see these, I mean, just as far as the eye could see, these fields of, of orchards and, and strawberry fields and, 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 you know, all these things that you and I, we just go to the grocery store and pick it up. You know, ask your kids, where does food come from? And some of them probably say, Harris Teeter or Food Lion or something like that. <laughs> but where does it come from? It comes from, from God giving man the, the plants to cultivate and giving him the technology to, to cultivate that and to grow it in such capacity that we can just go into the store and buy it. And some really, really cool things we can buy these days, isn't it? (laughs) Some delicious fruits. And not only that, but he's given us the ability to put them all together in great dishes and and enjoy the different uh, tastes uh, as we mix them together. God is so good in his provision. Wine to gladden the heart of men. Oil to make our faces shine. Bread. Who doesn't like bread? All right. I know some of us can't eat it, unfortunately. That's one of the faults of the curse I think but bread to strengthen the heart of man even the rhythms of our lives and world are a product of God's goodness to us he sets a sun and the moon to mark the seasons and set the calendar of our days time literally is in his hands night is a time for man to rest and and providentially the time for all the dangerous harmful beasts to go out and do their hunting and in the daytime, they come and go to sleep, and we get up and go out to our work. Isn't God good? We had a pack of coyotes behind our house, took up a residence behind our house in the woods uh, in an old shed. I wanted to see them so bad. I never saw them. I could hear them every night. <laughs> and I'm actually probably glad I didn't see them. But in the daytime, they were gone or, or resting. The psalmist pictures all of creation looking to the Lord for their food and provision like a pet looks to his master or a child to their parent for care. And God knows what we need. Sometimes he provides and sometimes he withholds because he knows what's good. Parents, we know how that is with our children, don't we? You don't just give them every single thing they desire or they want. Sometimes you withhold because you know what is good for them. Likewise, the psalmist says, when the Lord opens his hands, he fills with good things. When he hides his face or withholds, we experience our need and our dependency upon him. And this includes even life and death. Your every breath is in the hands of the Lord. He both gives and takes life according to his wisdom. So God is not only the creator, but he's also the sustainer, the provider of all things. In him, we live and move and have our being. And on him, we are dependent for all our needs. And he meets them according to his good pleasure and his wisdom. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works, the psalmist says. In wisdom you have made them all. So we see the greatness of God. We see the goodness of God in his provision. And lastly, we see the gladness of God in his delight, his own delight in his creation. All of creation reveals the grandeur and glory and the goodness of God, but it also reveals that God himself delights in the things that he has made. When the Lord sat back on the sixth day and surveyed all the works of his hands, what did he say? It is, it is very good. (laughs) He said it was good every day after he stopped. And then he got to the end and he said, it is very good. He delighted in it. He was satisfied in it. It, it It brought him joy. It was pleasing to him. And you don't have to look far in creation to see that we have a God who who delights in the beautiful, in the creative, in the diverse, in the simple, in the complex. And yes, even in the really funny (laughs) and playful things. God has a sense of humor that we can see even in the works of his creation. He is the author of. Of fun, And he himself loves the play of his creatures. Verse 24. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both great and small. There goes the ships and the Leviathan. Some great, huge sea monster creature, probably a whale of some sort. Which you formed to play in it. <laughs> to play in the sea. Another good experience we got to have on our sabbatical was to go down with my brother-in-law and sister in Florida who loves to fish and so we got the opportunity to go fishing and we got the chance to go snorkeling while we were down there in southern Florida and we got went out on this little small patch I had snorkeled before Kathy hadn't we got out there we were a little bit kind of you know you get in the water and you start thinking I look a lot like a big piece of bait <laughs> But when you could calm down and we started looking on this, uh, on this reef and just this small patch. It was, it was no bigger than this room right here, this patch of reef. We saw hundreds of different varieties of fish. All kinds of plants and coral growing up on the bottom. All kinds of things that were just, you look down there and you're just like, oh my gosh, the, the entire thing is alive. And the variety was amazing. And that's just one little patch. I mean, think about the oceans and how deep they are. And again, we we can now see some of this because of technology. But God has created all these living things, both great and small. and, And he's done it just with a great sense of, I just take pleasure in this. And we can take pleasure in that. We're still discovering, even now, new species of life all the time. And God created it for his own delight and pleasure. God formed his creation to be a great playground and he smiles and rejoices in the wisdom and the beauty and majesty of his own handiwork. And God is glad when we delight in his creation as well. He's created us in his image. He's given us creativity and power and he's called us to steward and to, to, to have dominion over his creation. Not for our own purposes but for his glory and for, for the good of all people. Even in the psalm, we see this reflected. We sing our praises to God and rejoice and delight in all that He has made. But you may be thinking, as great and good and glad as God may be in His creation, the fact of the matter is that things in this world are not always great or good or glad. Even in the psalm, here, there's an acknowledgement of the darkness, of the danger and of death that are part of life in this world, and an acknowledgment that all is not right. We see that in this very last verse of the psalm, Psalm 35, where the psalmist, kind of almost out of, you know, out of context, he says, Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. It seems kind of out of place in this, in this great song of praise and worship, and yet it's an acknowledgment. That man's sin, man's rebellion against his creator has subjected not only him but all of creation to the futility and the corruption that sin brings. Man, in his suppression of the truth about God, clearly revealed in what God has made, has come, Paul goes on to say in Romans 1, to exchange the glory of the immortal God for the worship and serving of that which he has made, the creature's themself and as long as sin and sinners remain all of creation will fall short of the glory of God and so the psalmist calls for God's judgment upon such a a neglect of his his glory such a defaming of his name which is why God took it upon himself to enter into his creation in the person of his son Jesus to more fully reveal His greatness and His goodness and His gladness in all of creation by coming down and becoming one of us. And to bring about the, to do that, to bring about the redemption and the reconciliation of of sinful creatures to their Creator. Remember the words that, that Kyle read for us earlier from Colossians about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the the light of the world. He is the glory of the Lord revealed in the flesh. By Him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Jesus, in His union with the Father and the Spirit, were there at the beginning, creating all things, making them for His glory, for His good. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together and in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of His cross. You see, God speaks to us and shows us His glory in all of creation around us. But in His Son the Word made flesh We see more fully and more personally the greatness and the goodness and gladness of God in all of the creation. And think about Jesus' life. What did he do when he was here on earth among us? He spoke and the wind and the waves obeyed him. He touched the sick and the unclean and the broken and they were healed and made clean and whole. He called up schools of fish after his disciples had been fishing all night and he placed them right under their net after he told them to throw over into the water. And then he took two little fish and five loaves and he fed a crowd of 5,000 or more on a hillside providing their need. Jesus kept a, a wedding party going late into the night when all the wine had run out by taking jugs of water. And turning them into really good wine. He took notice of birds and plants and animals around him. And he used them, as the psalmist does, as illustrations of God's care for his own. He took notice of and provided for the overlooked, the downtrodden, the outcast, the sinner. And for the joy and delight in seeing God's name glorified, God's justice satisfied And sinful man and all of creation reconciled and restored to their Creator, He laid down His life on the cross. He shed His own blood. He breathed His last breath in order that our sin could be removed, (laughs) that the wrath of God against sin would be taken away. And that our fellowship and the image of God in which we were created could be restored with our Heavenly Father. So that we can once again rest and rejoice in His greatness, in His goodness, in His gladness. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and I will be with you always. He says, if you have seen me, you have seen God the Father, the creator of all things, entered in and subjected himself to the confines of his creation, like you and me, but without sin. And he did it in order to reconcile sinners like you and me as he sends forth his spirit and breathes new life into our souls and opens our hearts and our spiritual eyes of faith To worship him as our very great God. You see, one day sinners will be consumed. And sin will be no more. And until then, Jesus is calling. Sinners, come to me. I will give you rest. I will be the living water that satisfies your thirst. I will be the bread of life that takes away all your hunger. I will be the door into the security and safety of the sheepfold where my Father will watch over you and never let anyone snatch you from His hand. Have you come to Jesus? Are you finding rest in Him? As you look around at the world around you and the the amazing creativity of God and the, and the greatness and power, can you see it embodied <laughs> in the one who came to lay down his life for you and now lives and reigns in heaven until the day he will return and restore all things to himself. So what can we take away from this? A couple of quick applications. As we consider the greatness of God, let's also marvel at his concern for you and me and mankind. David says in Psalm 8, When I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon, the stars that you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is the son of man that you care for him? You ever think that God has bigger fish to fry than your concerns? And yet, as he's stretching out the heavens as He's providing food and drink for every creature on earth, as He's enjoying and taking pleasure in all of creation, He sets His glory and His honor and His care on you and the particulars of your life. The one creature that He has created in His image to be like Him, to fellowship with Him. And that's why all human life has dignity. That's why every human being you encounter bears a special countenance, a quality deep down that reflects the greatness and the goodness and the gladness of God. And it's why God has given to man dominion over his creation to shepherd and steward it for his glory and worship. Jesus said, if two sparrows that are, that are worth a penny, if they don't even fall to the ground apart from the Father's will, how much more valuable are you than they? Do you not think that he will care for you? Do not fear. Rest in Him. You are precious in the sight of the Lord. Your life is in His hands. He did not make a mistake when He created you. It's true of every single person here. And He's not finished with the way He is restoring and renewing that image in you through Jesus Christ. And the same is true for others around us. So let us, let us consider God's care and His love for, for His People, And let us point others to the glory of their creator in the face of Jesus. Secondly, rest in the goodness of God's providence and provision in all things. The Lord who, who created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them cares for every minute detail in the workings of creation. Nothing escapes his notice. Nothing surprises him. No dead branch that fell out into my yard the other day and lay on the ground for me to go pick up was outside of the will of of God the creator. And for those who love him. Whom he calls his own in Christ Jesus. He works all of that for your good. For your good. And as Jesus said. If he feeds the birds of the air who don't sow or reap. If he clothes the grass of the fields. Who do not. Who in their splendor don't even measure up. Or, me, or outshine the splendor of Solomon. Do you not think He will provide for every single one of your needs? So don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear or what car you will drive or what job you will have or where your kids will go to school or what other people think of you or how you're going to handle this next crisis. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need and He will care for you. Seek first Him and His kingdom. And lastly, just open your eyes. (laughs) Turn off your screens. Leave your house. Lift your head. Look at and listen to the world around you. And all its amazement, all its wonder, all its pain and hardship. And let it lead you to rejoice in the Lord. Now I know not everyone can do that in the same way. Some cannot see, literally. Literally. The creation around them. Some cannot hear the birds singing in the trees. Some are confined in ways that, that they can't get up and get out. Not everyone will, will go or can go and travel to, to different places. But brothers and sisters, you don't have to go far. Just do your back deck or just look out your window. And let us help and encourage one another in marveling at the glory of God's handiwork all around us. Let it lead us to to bless the Lord, O my soul, our God who is very great. This psalm rules out pantheism which sees nature as God and worships the creation as being part of God. This psalm rules out naturalism which takes God out of nature and makes all things the product of random chance and natural change. Neither of those will stand up to the truth of God's word. The creation speaks of a creator, and the creator has made himself known in the things he has made, which reflect his glory. And he has made himself known to us in the one whom he sent to reconcile all things and to redeem sinners, so that we can indeed rest in him and rejoice in his greatness and his glory goodness and in his gladness let's pray together oh father you are very great and this sermon has gone on very long because your greatness cannot be captured in creation in examples in words but it does lord reveal to us who you are how you work, and your great care and provision for us, particularly for us in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and hearts to marvel and words to speak and proclaim your greatness and your goodness and your gladness and joy to all of creation that many might be drawn to you and to know you through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.